teacher. Well, well, it, it, it quickly became clear, you know, like within the space of a few hours, that Brennan could never be left on his own for more than about two minutes because he just started destroying things. And so, I mean, the, the upshot was that I had to uh, I had to take him with me wh wherever I went, you know. So I used to take him into lectures with me. And um, I mean, I'd give him a good run first, so most of the time he would sleep. You know, Wait, but, you, you, you'd be up at the podium in the lecture hall and the wolf yeah. would be at your feet? Usually over in a corner of the room at a kind of safe distance from me, yeah. What did your students and, and, think of having a wolf in the room? Well, there were never any sort of complaints anyway. Uh, I mean, after, after a while, you know, I became known as the wolf guy. And would Brennan um, just sit there the whole time or, or would he start to wander around? Most of the time. Sometimes things would go a little awry. I mean, it, you, you can imagine, for example, what... what, what forced me to to put this little uh, appendage on my on, on my syllabus um note please do not pay any attention to the wolf he will not hurt you uh, however if you do have any food in your bags please ensure that those bags are securely fastened shut <laughs> um <laughs> meaning there, there was there, an there occasion was, where it was not securely fastened shut <laughs> precisely and the students lunch disappeared before their eyes um <laughs> I mean, sometimes, you know, he would he would just wake up and start howling, you know. and uh, <laughs> In the middle of a lecture? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure the students uh, probably wish they could do the same, actually. But uh. <laughs> And then you talk about how you were an avid rugby player. You, you were part of a local team. You travel a lot, and Brennan would always go with you. Yes, I mean, pr pretty much everything I, I I did, you know, we lived our lives in uh, I suppose, each other's pockets. I mean, any any socializing I did, you know, bars and parties, and all that. I did a lot of that in my, when I lived in Alabama. Uh, you know, he would have to come too. If I went out on a date, you know, he would play the lupine gooseberry. Um, <laughs> and so... <laughs> So our lives were pretty much, you know, lived within each other's eye shot, you know, for the for the whole of eleven years. We eventually, we, when Brennan was around four, we moved from the U.S. to Ireland, and then on to Wales, England, and and, and finally to France. That must have been hard to take a wolf into another country. Well, the first part of the trip to Ireland was hard because this this was in the days of uh, quarantine before they had pet passports and things like that. And so Brennan had to go into uh, quarantine, um, essentially, you know, jail for dogs for um, for for six months. Wow, that's um, a long time. It is a long time. Yeah, it is a long time. After that, there were there, there was no there was no problem. I was able to move him from one country to the other with uh, no difficulties at all. Hmm. Now, in your previous book, The Philosopher and the Wolf. You say at one point, much of what you learned about how to live, about life and its meaning, you learned from Brennan. And what it is to be human, you learn from a wolf. Yeah. It's an extraordinary thing to say. Yes, because of the, the kind of relationship we had where we were basically within touching distance of each other for, for this large period of, of life. You must have thought about what it means to be a human as opposed to what it might mean to be a wolf. And my sense is that... In your ledger, the wolf actually might come out a little bit on top of the human. Yeah. So this did start a kind of period of reflection on, you know, the idea of human superiority. The Philosopher and the Wolf was kind of basically an examination of, of probably the three main ways we distinguish ourselves and think of ourselves as better than other animals. Um, one way is, you know, we're better than them because uh, we're, we're, we're smarter, we're more intelligent than they are. Another suggestion that philosophers have had is that we're better than animals because we have morality and, and they don't. We're moral beings and they're not. And the third is that we're different and we're superior because we understand that we're going to die. And I wanted to examine the you know, whether these stories really, um, whether they 
held water. And so, for example, I sort of I examined the idea of intelligence and um, I argued, you know, drawing on the work of primatologists like um, Andrew White and Dick Byrne and so on, the so-called Machiavellian intelligence hypothesis, that intelligence within us has, has you know, fairly dark roots, if you like. It's, it, it, it's evolved to a considerable extent to allow us to deceive and manipulate our, um, our, fellow, our fellow apes. Because that's how we exist in a highly social community. I mean, we have to yes. kind of read other yeah. people and, uh, to some degree, and manipulate them so we can get what we want. Yeah, that's, that, that's, that's the idea. Well, and that leads directly to then the other thing that you were talking about, morality. And I can't imagine a wolf doing evil, whereas humans clearly have the capacity to commit atrocities. Yes, I, I think um, to an extent that's right. I mean, I, there's, there's a certain kind of malice, malice of forethought, if you like, that that you find in apes that you don't find in in other creatures. I mean, the, the sort of the violence that occurs between wolves.